Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I wanted to talk to you about a tension that came up for me when we were putting together this lecture, and I know we've talked about it off camera as well. On the one hand, we're telling our trainees that asking about triggers or treatment preferences and working to minimize or avoid those triggers or meet those preferences is absolutely sufficient to help somebody feel more comfortable during a given procedure or exam. But on the other hand, in this lecture, we're saying that it would be even better or optimal to also ask about sexual violence. To add an additional wrinkle to that, in my research, sexual violence survivors have told me that at times, if asked, they wouldn't be comfortable disclosing, either because they would feel that a non-mental health clinician wouldn't be equipped to handle the information, they wouldn't want to be seen differently or as fragile, or they'd feel that it wasn't relevant to their cancer care. So I'm wondering if you could kind of help me unpack that, that we're saying it's enough to just ask about triggers, it's better to ask about triggers and sexual violence, but even if you do that, you still might not hear. That's a really good point, Julie, because we do need to take patients' different preferences into account. And some people do feel that healthcare providers should only ask about triggers and not bother with sexual violence. In some studies, patients were very willing to talk about trigger management, but almost never disclosed trauma. Some patients have told us they just felt it was none of a medical provider's business and that they didn't think that a medical provider would be equipped to handle it. But I also think it sends a really powerful message to routinely ask, to put it out there that we as healthcare providers get that this is a big issue for a lot of people and that we as providers and as clinics are aware of and open to hearing about this issue. Well, you did a good job convincing me, and I'm sure you will have convinced the trainees as well. But I know whenever we want to adopt any new behavior into our practice, an important barrier is time. So, you know, I've been in cancer clinics. There's such high patient volume, one appointment after another appointment. And now we're asking our trainees to not only make the time to ask about sexual violence, but also if somebody chooses to disclose, to be open, to help the patient not feel rushed, and to have a conversation. And so what could you say to our trainees who may be concerned about overcoming this time barrier? Well, that's a good point. And the time constraints are real. I get that. But a major reason that asking can be helpful is that triggers related to sexual violence can impact the patient's engagement with treatment, especially if the triggers limit whether they're going to show up for future health visits or contact their provider if there's a problem. If you think about how this could impact the patient's treatment and health more broadly, five or 10 minutes could be a really wise investment. Most patients won't want to talk about past sexual violence for hours or have some kind of psychotherapy session with you. It's more about letting the provider know that it happened and problem solving how to make cancer treatment more comfortable. If they choose to open up about it, it's usually because it's in some way relevant to their cancer care experience, because they want you to understand their reactions and because they'd like to have a specific kind of help. A discussion about it at the onset of treatment could even save time because you could avoid issues like patients crying or panicking in the middle of a session or even having to stop treatment. Most survivors, both women and men, have indicated that they did not want to discuss the details of sexual violence with their practitioners. Instead, they want providers to know so that the providers can be more sensitive to their needs, so that the providers can make their current treatment experience more comfortable and less triggering. Yeah, I mean, in our research studies, it has come up a few times where a patient will let me know that they were a sexual violence survivor, and because of their history, maybe a certain question on a questionnaire was triggering, 
or a certain study procedure made them uncomfortable, and that's it. It's not asking for a therapy session, it's not particularly emotional or lengthy, but it's more, I want to share this with you because I'm hoping you can do something different for me next time to help me be more comfortable. And in my experience anyway, in cancer settings, that's how it generally is. It's, it's pretty quick and task focused. I think maybe not what some trainees might be afraid of if they've never asked before. And I guess I'm just wondering in your experience, of course, every patient is different, but do you think that's, that's common or what trainees could expect to see fairly often? Absolutely. I think that you've really described the sort of typical reaction of somebody who's experienced sexual violence and is in cancer care and has a particular challenge. But I do think it makes a difference if the provider is open to hearing about that trigger. So it doesn't come as a surprise. If the provider knows that many patients will be triggered, they're just sort of in a mental space, I think, to be more open to hearing about triggers and more ready to make the adjustments that they can to make the patient's experience more comfortable. So let's say now you've convinced me this is worth asking and you've convinced me that it's worth the time to do it. Another barrier I think providers can face is their own emotional reactions. Um, when I introduce this topic, providers sometimes feel that it's almost unbearably upsetting for them to think about or even imagine talking to patients about, maybe because they're survivors themselves because they have children and can't bear to imagine their own children being abused or violated, or just because it makes them feel unsafe in the world to think about perpetrators being present. And so our own emotional reactions can also be a barrier to asking. And so I'm wondering if you could help our trainees kind of work through how to overcome maybe some of their own emotional barriers to asking about sexual violence. I would say that just like other challenges we face as providers, it could be having a patient who's dying or having a patient who is devastated with a cancer diagnosis that we are going to come in contact with some difficult material. And I think that there is good preparation that can be done. You know, maybe when we're not with a patient, actually being present with some of that pain, thinking about how to work with it, because ultimately, this is a real issue for our patients, so it is part of our jobs, just like other parts of their history are relevant to their treatment experience. I think that ideally we can make inner room for both our own feelings and needs as well as those of our patients. That doesn't mean sharing our own personal experiences with patients or neglecting to do part of our jobs if we're not feeling well enough that day to be at work, but there's a kind of consciousness we can develop as providers with practice that can hold both our experiences and our patients' experience in the same moment. I've definitely had moments when I've had something going on in my own life that's lingering on my mind, or when the patient was talking about something that reminded me about something difficult about my own experiences, and it's not appropriate to start talking about those things with your patient, even if you think, for instance, that sharing your own stress or trauma history might be helpful, because you want the patient to feel like the focus is on them. But I can share with you that I do acknowledge inside my own feelings just for a moment, just for a second. And it only takes that one second to make some mental space for both things. Just silently acknowledging to myself that I'm having a memory or a feeling and I allow that to be present even as I focus on the patient. Then since I've taken a note of it, I can go back and give it more attention if I need to after I've finished up with the patient. And another practice that can help you stay focused when you're feeling triggered or in need of support yourself is to engage with your breath during moments of silence. When there's a pause in your conversation with a patient, you can take a couple of breaths, 
and think inside your head. One breath for me, one breath for you, one breath for me, one breath for you. That steady breathing can help set a calm tone for both yourself and for your patient. You can also calm your nervous system down with a little breathing practice, like inhaling for four counts and exhaling for eight counts. If you have coworkers that you trust, you can also let them know at some point that you're having a rough day or ask them for their company during a break or even share some of your feelings. So now let's say I agree this is important. I've overcome my concerns about time and I feel like I have some strategies to help me cope with what can be a difficult conversation. Now something you've talked about in the lecture is if you do ask the question and a patient discloses a sexual violence history, how do we respond? And you really touched on this important point of empathy versus pity. And I was wondering if that's something that we can demonstrate for the trainees now. So let's imagine that I say to you, we're in the radiation clinic and maybe you're a radiation therapist or my radiation oncologist. And I say, listen, I'm fine. It happened a long time ago, but I was raped as a teenager by men. And I'm very uncomfortable having my body touched by any men I don't know. So I would very strongly prefer to have my radiation therapy team be only women and have only women positioning me during treatment. Can you demonstrate what an empathic response to that disclosure versus a pitying response might sound like? Sure thing. So an empathic response might be something like, I am so sorry that you were raped. Unfortunately, it's all too common an experience and it's normal for survivors to have different sorts of triggers arise during cancer treatment. Thank you for letting me know. That makes sense that having a male therapist in this situation would be upsetting, so I get that. Um, so it sounds like it would help to schedule your appointments with female therapists only, is that right? That would be a huge help. Okay, great. And are there other ways that I could help make the treatment experience more comfortable for you? I think that's really the main thing. I'm, I've, you know, I've dealt with most of the other stressors, but, but for me, that would make a huge difference. I'm glad to hear that, and um, I will absolutely um, make sure, make a note of that, and make sure that that happens. And do you feel like any other types of resources could be helpful for you from me, the team, or outside? No, you know what? I have an outside therapist, and you know, I've, I had stopped seeing her, but since the cancer diagnosis, I've gone back. So I think I'm in a good space, but I just. To get through this as well as possible, I, I, I need not to be touched by men I don't know to, to the extent that we can work that out. Thanks again for telling me, and um, I'm here if other things arise that I could help with. So here's an example of a more pitying response. Oh no, you poor thing. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that must have totally devastated you. Are you in therapy? I hope you're in therapy. You poor thing, 16, that must have been such a horrible age to have to go through that. I can feel the difference even in this role play. You know, in the first scenario, the empathic scenario, I felt like just another patient, that our relationship didn't change from the five seconds before I told you to the five seconds after I told you. I shared information about my history. You worked with me to accommodate it. It felt very comfortable and accepting. And in the second scenario, again, even in the role play, I felt so uncomfortable. And I felt like me sharing this information with you totally changed how you looked at me, how you treated me, how you reacted towards me. And again, I felt like we talked about an object of pity rather than just another patient with a treatment request.
And I hope our trainees feel that difference too. And if a patient does trust them enough to share this history, I hope they'll work with that more empathic, accepting, comfortable response type, um, as opposed to pitying, even if inside they do feel that this is a horrible thing that happened, but that's not what we want to communicate to our patients. I think that's right, Julie. I think it's about joining with the patient in a way that shows understanding of their level of distress, where they're at, without assuming that it's worse than they're telling you or projecting your own sorrow, your own discomfort onto them. So I think to sum up our, our talk today, essentially, if trainees feel comfortable asking about triggers and treatment preferences, that's wonderful. And they're taking an important step towards helping their patients have a better treatment experience. If they feel comfortable with their role and their time and their own emotional well-being to take the next step and also ask about a history of sexual violence, that's maybe even better. But whichever way they go and whichever path they take, any of those types of questions will help their patients have more sensitive cancer care. So thank you again for talking with me today and for joining us in this course. You're quite welcome. It's been a pleasure.